The ingredients for this season's finale are Mephistopheles, Infernal, and The Fallen Angel. I'm Andy Anderson, the mischievous maestro, and we're mixing up the perfect combination. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. The book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. It's an odd way to start an episode for an opera podcast, don't you think, my friends? But I think when we get a little deeper into the episode, you'll understand why I started with one of my favorite Bible verses. Faust is an opera in five acts by Charles Gounod with a French libretto based on the play Faust and Marguerite, which is in turn loosely based on Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's Faust Part One. It received its first performance in Paris on March 19, 1859. In the opera, we are introduced almost immediately to one of opera's greatest villains. In fact, I dare say probably the best villain in all of opera, Mephistopheles. So who is Mephistopheles? Well, he's the devil. He is the number one villain. Gounod's Prince of Darkness rises to the number one spot, not only for the whole selling your soul deal, but for aiding Faust in his seduction of Marguerite, encouragement of Faust's subsequent abandonment of her after he gets her pregnant, and for helping Faust to killing Valentine in a duel. So, Mephistopheles, here in the high court of the mischievous maestro, the charges brought up against you are as follows. Well, you name it, you've done it, so let's just leave it at that. How do you plead? We, the High Court of the Mischievous Maestro, find you guilty. As charged. And now, friends, I think it's time for a drink.
our cocktail for this episode is perfectly named, and that seems to have happened a lot for this season, don't you think? But anyway, this cocktail is called the Fallen Angel. And this is what you're going to need. You're going to need some gin from your bar and some white creme de menthe. And then you're going to need some fresh squeezed lime juice and some bitters. So let's break it down. This is what you do. Put some ice into your cocktail shaker. To that, add one and a half ounce of gin. A half ounce of fresh squeezed lime juice. A half ounce of white creme de menthe. And a good dash of bitters. Put your lid on your cocktail shaker and give it a good shaky shake shake. String that into your martini glass. And enjoy, my friends. But, like all of our cocktails, please enjoy this cocktail responsibly, or else you'll have your own private personal fall from grace. The legend of Dr. Faust dates back to the Middle Ages and was set into literature by various writers and set to music by many composers. The most famous literary model of the Dr. Faust story is that of Goethe. He completed his Faust story around 50 years before the premiere of Gounod's opera. Before Gounod worked on his opera, the composer Meyerbeer was presented with the work as a possible subject, but Meyerbeer declined on the grounds that Faust was, quote, a sanctuary that should not be desecrated with profane music, end quote. The character of Mephistopheles, the self-proclaimed, quote, spirit of negation in Goethe's Faust I, presents the reader with a personification of the demonic that had not previously been seen in literature. Mephistopheles utilizes his own brand of skepticism, which frequently borders on nihilism, to change previously held beliefs about humanity's relationship to hell. In his troubled yet symbiotic relationship with Faust, he further demonstrates the ways in which human nature is inextricably related to the darkness and evil he claims to represent. Ultimately, Mephistopheles' close relationship with Faust and the way he functions as a protagonist offers compelling evidence that the evil and darkness Mephistopheles represents are an inevitable and necessary part of human nature.
At the beginning of Goethe's work, the reader is introduced to Mephistopheles when he makes a wager with God that he will be able to steer Faust's soul into sin. Mephistopheles identifies his personal motivations for trying to draw Faust into darkness. Quoting from Goethe's work, God says, Man errs till he has ceased to strive. And Mephistopheles replies, I thank your grace, for dead men never tempt me greatly, I confess. In this connection, I like to see a full and fresh complexion. A corpse is an unwelcome visitor. The cat and mouse game is what I prefer. God's statement, quote, man errs till he has ceased to strive, gives the reader a clue about why having a living soul to tempt is so important to Mephistopheles. It is because these souls are continuously making the sort of errors that would lead them to be tempted by him in the first place. By saying he prefers the, quote, cat and mouse game, Mephistopheles gives away an important clue about his personality. He considers his attempts to cause human souls to sin to be entertaining. Essentially, Mephistopheles is saying that in order to get satisfaction out of the evil he commits, he needs the challenge of a human soul. He only engages in his attempts to distract humans from God while they are alive because he relies on their ability to act and make errors. Side note, did you know that Dr. Faustus was actually a real person? Johann George Faust was born in 1480 and died in 1541. He was a German alchemist, astrologer, and magician of the German Renaissance. Dr. Faust became the subject of folk legend in the years following his death. The first official writing of the legend of Faust was Christopher Marlowe in 1604 with this play titled The Tragical History of the Life and Death of Dr. Faustus. Other than Gounod's beautiful opera, Faust, there are several other versions of the story. Mephistopheles by Boito and The Damnation of Faust by Berlioz round out the trio of works often called The Three Devils of Opera. Mephistopheles was the only completed opera with music and libretto by the composer Arrigo Boito. The opera was given its premiere on March 5, 1868 at La Scala under the baton of the composer. Boito started thinking of an opera on the Faustian theme after completing his studies at the Milan Conservatory in 1861. He was an admirer of Richard Wagner and, like him, chose to write his own libretto, something which was virtually unheard of in Italian opera up to that time. Much of the text is actually a literal translation from Goethe's German to Boito's Italian. Boito regarded Charles Gounod's opera Faust as, quote, a superficial and frivolous treatment 
of a profound subject. The Damnation of Faust is a work for four solo voices, a full seven-part chorus, a large children's chorus, and giant orchestra by the French composer Hector Berlioz. He called it a, quote, dramatic legend. It was first performed at the Opera Comique in Paris on December the 6th, 1846. The composer was inspired by a translation of Goethe's dramatic poem, Faust, and produced a musical work that, like the masterpiece on which it is based, defies an easy category. Conceived at various times as a free-form oratorio and as an opera in its travelogue form and cosmic perspective, have made it an extreme challenge to stage. Berlioz himself was eager to see the work staged, but once he did, he conceded that the production techniques of his time were not quite up to the task of bringing the work to dramatic life. So therefore, he called it a concert opera. So, let's get back to Gounod's Faust. What then is Gounod's opera Faust all about? In a small medieval German town, there lives a young woman whose brother, a soldier, is stationed nearby. She produces yarn and a spinning wheel, and an adolescent neighbor has a crush on her. A handsome stranger, who has a frighteningly and annoying sidekick, catches her eye at the fair. The stranger has a backstory, and his backstory is actually he's an old professor who, having spent his life pursuing knowledge, comes to regret that he cheated himself out of a hedonistic youth. Although he is not sure that heaven and hell exist, he is certain that if hell does exist, his soul is already consigned to it. Since he therefore has nothing to lose, he conjures the devil and exchanges his soul, which he's already conceded was likely lost anyway, for the restoration of his youth. As part of the bargain, the devil, Mephistopheles, agrees to make him, in effect, sexually irresistible to anyone whom he would wish to have. The devil knows that Faust would find a particular type of woman alluring and closes the deal by showing him a vision of Marguerite. But the devil has no intention of leaving things at that level of imagination. He transforms Faust into precisely the form that he knows will be most attractive to Marguerite and coaches Faust on what words of love she would find most alluring. When we get to the, quote, night of love duet, one of the most beautiful passages in all of opera, it has a sinister undertone to it. Forces of evil have cast the spell and are manipulating Marguerite's thinking as if she had taken a date rape drug. 
And in the scene's conclusion, when the devil causes her to reveal her most secret erotic thoughts, Faust rushes into her bedroom with all the disastrous consequences that unprotected sex with a scoundrel can bring upon a woman. But the manipulative victimization of Marguerite, her undesired pregnancy being cast aside by society, and her postpartum murder of her child is at the heart of the story that attracted Gounod and his librettists. Her ultimate salvation, even as Mephistopheles and Faust are attempting to drag her further into despair, is announced by the church bells on Easter. The prison walls collapse and her soul rises into heaven. Side note, much like the love duet in Gounod's goosebump-inducing score, the operatic canon is chocked full of highly erotic love music. Dozens of the most famous operas are about consenting adults falling for each other, and a lot of it ends badly. There is even a pretty clear rape or two, think Gilda by the Duke in Verdi's Rigoletto, and even pregnancies where the woman can be considered the victim, think Chocho-san in Puccini's Madame Butterfly. It is because of these tragic and often tear-evoking moments that we, the audience, return for more season after season. So we've talked a little bit about Gounod's version of Faust with Mephistopheles, and we talked about Goethe, of course, the great writer with his brilliant poem. We've talked about other versions of Mephistopheles in opera. But in the classical music world, there have also been several other versions of the Faust Mephistopheles story, some you may not think of, some that may not be quite so obvious. There's a ton of them. But some of the most popular are the Mephisto Waltzes by Franz Liszt for orchestra and also for piano, solo piano. There's a Spanish zarzuela titled Mephistopheles. Dr. Faust by the Italian composer Busoni with a German libretto. The Faust Symphony, again by Franz Liszt, the Faust Overture by Richard Wagner, 
Gretchen and the Spinning Wheel, one of the great art songs of all times by Schubert, scenes from Goethe's Faust by Schumann, and of course, my personal favorite, the second movement or part two of the great symphony number eight by Gustav Mahler. My friends, in closing, I would like to share with you one last quote. This is one of Mephistopheles' most famous quotes, and it comes from Christopher Marlowe's Dr. Faustus in Act 5 from 1604. Mephistopheles says, quote, Fools who laugh on earth must weep in hell. End quote. Well, here we are, the end of season two. Thank you for joining us, and I hope that you have enjoyed this season of Bad Boys and Bad Girls of Opera. Next season, I hope you will come with us on the journey of a lifetime. We are going full out with the motto, Valhalla or bust. That's right. We will have an entire season on Richard Wagner's great music dramas. We'll talk about Lohengrin, the Flying Dutchman, Tristan und Isolde, the Meistersinger, and of course, the ultimate treat for any opera nut, the Ring Cycle. Until then, my friends, please continue to stay safe and, as always, stay thirsty for knowledge. The Mischievous Maestro podcast was researched and written by me, Andy Anderson. Recording engineer and co-producer is Ryan Hall. Art director and co-producer is Jefferson Reidenauer. Very personal assistant to the Mischievous Maestro and co-producer is Megan Keane. Production assistant, co-producer, and all-around great guy is Yvonne Kahn. Publicist for Andy Anderson is Jonathan Blaylock. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite platform to get all of the upcoming episodes with exciting drinks. To learn more about The Mischievous Maestro and for the drink recipes, don't forget to visit our website, themischievousmaestro.com, and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Mischievous Maestro is so much more than a podcast, it's a lifestyle. And I would like to remind you to please drink responsibly. If you're not old enough, don't do it. And if you are old enough, do it in moderation. And if you're having a bad day and refuse to drink in moderation, then please follow these simple rules for overindulgence. Don't drink and drive. Please don't drink too much and then email your boss asking for a raise. And please, for all that's holy in the world, don't drink too much and then drunk text your ex at 3 a.m. This podcast is the sole property of the mischievous maestro and may not be used in whole or in any part without the expressed written permission of Andy Anderson.